Hello everyone and welcome to Inside Out. My guest tonight is one who likes to indulge in a battle of wits as a quiz master. The other passion of his is sports and he's done diverse roles across different sports and he's uh, executed various roles uh, commendably. It is none other than Joy Bhattacharya. Joy, a warm welcome to you and uh, it's nice to catch up with you after a long time. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, we obviously many fond memories of that 2014 season. After all, it was a fabulous season for KKR and for all of us. So yeah, great memories and great to see you again. Of course, I think what we are missing here is seven dwarfs. You know, when people look at our hair, so <laughs> what, what is missing uh, is that element of that seven dwarfs. So let's get on with it. Uh, quizzing has been something that has been your passion. And when were you smitten by it? Look, actually, yeah, I was never spitting by quizzing. I was a, a painfully shy kid who was actually given a double promotion when he had to come to Calcutta from Delhi. And they were shoved into a class full of people two years older. So I couldn't play too much sport. I was not too much too good at studies. So basically, books were my big escape. So I read and I read and I read and I read. And I used to just keep reading, you know, as to basically my sister had a subscription to BCL, British Council Library, Elder Section. I had one to the junior. So eight books I'd get a week at least to read, if not and pest my parents for more. So I think that's what developed. And when I actually sat in a quiz somewhere in our building, you know, these multi-story buildings used to have very general knowledge kind of quizzes. And I participated in one and they found out I was pretty good at it. And that's where it started off. But that was it. It was a passion for just reading. And because in our times when growing up, we didn't have that many options. I would read whatever I could get my hands on. I mean, other than the telephone directory, there's not a book in my house that I haven't read upside down. Good man. As you got into quizzing and conducting quiz shows, did it ever become a contest between you and the other contestants? Because I've seen that in cricket. Some coaches, when they start giving fielding practice, gradually when the players start taking all the catches that come their way, it becomes a little bit of a contest. So the coach gets into a mode of trying to make the player drop the catch. Does it happen to you while quizzing? While conducting quizzes, you do. You know what you do? Because the thing of a good quiz is it can't be go under. It can't go fly over the guy's head. It can't go, as they say, tan ho gaya, sir, nikal gaya. So what happens is if you don't know the audience, we don't know who you're quizzing, you have this constant battle of saying, okay, who is it? I need to pitch it at exactly the right level. Not too tough, not too easy. That means some will get, some will not get. And therefore, what happens is whenever you have questions, you have clues in your head. So you choose how many more. It's almost like a crossword giving an extra clue on a cryptic crossword. So you decide how much more you want to give the guy because that's the secret of it. The problem is if everyone gets everything, then it's not a quiz anyone wants to participate in or watch. And if no one gets nothing, so then that's that's equally bad. So that's the thing about a quiz that conducting, even as a quiz master, you're never reading questions. You're mentally gauging where these guys are, what level to put it at, what hints to give. What questions, if you need to just avoid and say, okay, that's an audience question because, you know, it's too easy it's, or it's too tough and you don't want to put it out there. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a more difficult art than it seems to be, as is almost anything in the world. Like, you seem to watch, you know, Sachin Tendulkar or Virat Kohli batting and say, that looks easy to you. And, you know, everyone knows the hours and centuries of practice that go into it. And quizzing, I won't say, is at the same level, but the basic principle is the same, that it's not as easy as it seems as a quiz master. 
do you have a technique to remember all the you know things that you need to remember and all the things that you read and uh, tremendous information that you put out do you have a technique to remember all that no i don't actually i don't and i have a problem i cannot and it is a problem i cannot memorize so it is so other than short term numbers or whatever i can't memorize so my problem is whatever sticks sticks with me so what i try and do whenever i really need to remember something desperately is try and associate it with other things that make sense to me so for example you know uh, whenever i think of numbers uh, the easy way of remembering numbers is so if i have to remember 183 i think you know india world cup you know that's the way I, you actually remember so i only can remember by associating things and associating things with things that make sense to me but i actually have a rubbish memory and a lot of quizzes are like me they don't have great memories because quizzing again as i say uh, most people think of it as uh, close to being a memory contest uh, but actually it's much more closer to a crossword cryptic crossword thing that means there's a technique to it there's a there's a way you work out things saying okay this is the period this is the time this is what it could be and sort of put it together but i actually have compared to many people a very very bad memory i, I cannot remember what i want to remember so i used to never be good at you know in schools used to have elocution contests and my problem was i could never never remember the entire speech so that was my problem so strange one so you stick to mnemonics and what are your views on the various marketing gimmicks about enhancing memory the various tools and aids and the medicines that you you know come across on ads <laughs> <laughs> no the way the ads are, as i said the ads go way over the top i think there is there are ways in which you can definitely it's like this it's like anything it's like practice you know i remember four years back when i started running and i started with this program called c25k and the first day it was made me run one minute walk one minute run one minute one minute was all i could run and i was by that one minute i was dead okay and within one year you are running a 10k or 11k you know so it's all i think memory also can be improved by practice but i think what's happening now is memory is one part of it a lot of what we are putting out because marketing is become so extreme that it's just gone over the top i mean this white hat coding for example is a great example saying that it's a great thing for kids to code but please don't make parents of 5 year old kids feel that if the kid is already does not know coding he's 3 years behind the rest you know that i think is a problem with marketing marketing takes everything to its illogical extreme rather than logical extreme uh going back to espn days when you were a producer and stuff um, broadcasting has come a long way from then hasn't it yeah absolutely in fact uh, one of the things which is i think is an excellent thing in broadcasting is when i actually joined broadcasting there were very few indian crew members and you know even a tour that was happening in india you would have a couple of assistant producers who were indian okay a lot of cameramen start being indian and you know where those cameramen were from most of them were doordarshan employees or isro employees what a lot of us don't know is that isro used to have a terrific audiovisual department and all the other guys and there were a few guys who used to operate the evs machines which are the replay machines but the most of the rest of the crew especially the people taking editorial decisions were not indians and i think over the years that has changed with the technology we've got you know that first group of people got trained and more people came in now more people came in now anywhere in the world that you have a cricket contest indian cameramen indian producers indian directors are going all over the world so i think it's fantastic that way in in the sense that truly india is not just a hub of uh, you know cricket on the ground in terms of commercials it's also a hub of 
uh, people who understand cricket technology and we export analysts to around the world most of the analysis for uh, the west indies cricket team the australian cricket team all these are done in india sitting in india in chennai and in bangalore there are places that are doing this analysis so it's amazing so i think that is tremendously changed and bees of course the quality of the cameras the, the evs operators in those days what they used to actually do was replay cassette tapes you know they are beta tapes but they replay tapes and play them out again i mean today you can do that on the switch of a button you have so many more options for you so yeah it, it's it's an easier job in many ways but uh, yeah i mean technology has made, made changed everything here yeah talking of technology the snickometer the okay everything is good for the viewers it makes um, viewing interesting but where do you draw, draw the line when it comes to technology supplementing sport we serve cannibalizing it i think i i, t- I tend to agree with you i think it's a, it's a very 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 difficult line to call around you know this line better than i do but that's that's exactly what the problem is like var they thought they had the perfect system in the uk and now they're looking at it and saying at the end of the day instead of becoming an on field referee's call it's become an off field referee's call but it's still a judgement call if the judgement is not completely decisive then it's a problem and recently we saw a case in cricket where the guy the the, the off field cameraman the third umpire saw a snicko movement where it it was actually the bat hitting the ground at the same time creating the noise now snicko can create because the edge but it can also be the bat hitting the ground so if you're not watching out so that's a problem there is so much interpretation still open you can't throw the baby out with the bath water but i think we need to be a lot more careful about how we supplement the human mind is actually an amazing thing and to supplement it easily why do we think we still have manned aircraft i mean now if you look at technology where it has you shouldn't even be having manned you know pilots most of the time this it should be everything is unmanned because their technology exists for you to do it anywhere i mean now there are guys who are running drone strikes sitting in uh, nevada california they're running in nevada the us they are running air strikes in uh, drone strikes in afghanistan but you don't because for anything important because you need to have the human mind has a amazing capacity to do things and therefore exactly what you said raman you cannot throw or take away the human mind out of this because he has an ability to understand he has an ability to judge which machines are still not capable of he's definitely helped and supplemented by machines but he cannot he cannot be replaced by a machine that's that's my belief yeah the core of any sport is the human frailty is you know coming up now and then on the field of play or uh, any kind of arena drs is fine we are trying to sort of get as many decisions right as possible but in a way does it not rob the sheen of the sport it does and look the point of it is that's my point uh, is also sport is imperfect we are imperfect sport is imperfect a cricketer can make an a mistake so can an umpire that's part of it part of the acceptance of the play is that you all can make mistakes and i think the only big step which i really really i think endorsed fully was the fact of getting neutral umpires which give credit to imran khan probably the one thing he really championed which made a real sense and a difference once you get umpires who really, really don't have an interest or can be pressured into giving anything i think you can do without the rest because as i said if the player is imperfect so is the umpire decisions are sometimes imperfect that's what legends are made of and i'm perfectly prepared to live with that on the field now the no ball is going to be handled by the third umpire now do you see technology 
sort of completely replacing the human element in the future? I think that's what they're trying to do is to think that it's going to make it totally error free. And I don't think it works that way. Using technology wisely is much more difficult than creating technology. And that's something that as a human species, we've got to learn well. I don't think we're doing it well. And there, for example, there are a lot of people saying that the way AI is growing, we really don't know where AI is going. We don't know whether we can control it or not. And we are allowing it to run, you know, absolutely untrammeled to do whatever it wants to. It could come back and bite us anytime. So these are the kind of issues that I think I wish there were more people thinking about those issues as well instead of just creating those systems and machines. Now, let's talk about sport. We've spoken enough about technology. Uh, IPL is definitely the mother of all leagues, no doubt. But it has also inspired the proliferation of uh, leagues in other sports as well. Yeah, it has. And I think one of the things about the IPL is it has done, uh, it's both done a huge service and a disservice. I think the big service it's done is Sport, once privatized, once you bring people in who make a difference, sport can be done much more efficiently than we've been running it so far. I think that's a good lesson to learn from the IPL. There are good things happening in sport. You can do more with sport. And sport was definitely, definitely underserved. And I have a theory for that. If you see Indian sport, Indian sport, where did you start off? Who had the time for modern Indian sport? And let's leave, you know, the Mahabharata side. Come to, say, 17th, 18th, 19th century. The British started it. And they ran it because their soldiers, their people needed to be occupied. After the British went off, you had basically who was left in 47 when the British left. Everyone else is poor. Roti Kapada Makan, you know, sport is not a priority. Who ran it then? The Maharajas. So you will have the Maharaja Patiala, the Maharaja Santosh, the Ranji Trophy, this thing, the shooting. All these are dominated by some of them in the army and some of them by ex-Maharajas. 60s and 70s, the politicians and the bureaucrats take over. And it's only in 2008 with the IPL that you've got trained professionals coming to sport. And I believe that India needs, it's fantastic to see the way cricket has grown. But India is large enough, it's 1.3 billion people to be a, at least four sport, five sport, six sport country. Look at Australia. They play Australian rules football regularly. They play rugby regularly. They play cricket well. They're a very, very good basketball team currently. They have an excellent football team, which is challenging in Asia. Okay, they're a six, seven sport country, and there's no reason why we can't be. And to make that happen, we need leagues to happen because leagues are at least run professionally, they're marketed professionally. And if you're no, don't have that, you can't build Indian sport. Now, as the gaining popularity of the leagues served to dispel the public view that sponsors only support cricket, uh, I feel, I feel, look, cricket is always going to be number one. But right now, cricket is like Amitabh Bachchan was in, num in 1980. He's number 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Then you have Vinod Khanna at 8. And then you have Dharmendra at 9. Ten. Cricket needs to be like number 1. But there should be a decent number 2. Football should gain numbers. Something like a basketball or a volleyball should gain numbers. A badminton should do well because we've got such a great badminton tradition. So others have to come in and be closer to cricket. Right now, if you look at the cricket ecosystem, I was looking at the Mindsport report. About 85% of the nation, all the nation's money spent in sport goes into cricket. And that's a ridiculous percentage. I want that to go down to, I think it should always be the highest because cricket is literally our national sport, whether we call it hockey or not at this point in time. But it should come down to about a more manageable 50, 55%. Let the other sports grow as well. There's so much space. 
How would you compare the spectator support and the knowledge of spectators with respect to other sports? Look, I think there are packets of great support. And look again in India, you know, it's 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 always remembering is useful to remember that Greater Bombay is the size population ways of Australia. So there are enough interested and knowledgeable people for any sport. Take any decent sport. Take a basketball. There are at least 20 million people in India who watch basketball. 20 million is just around the Australian population. Okay, five million is a New Zealand population. So all I'm saying is the numbers are so big that all these sports can have real aficionados. Football, for example, has a great culture of aficionados where you have all the aficionados in Calcutta. You have some in Goa, some in Kochi. Volleyball, when I did it, Kochi, Kerala, the understanding of volleyball, the kind of you know love of the game that is there. Kochi, parts of Tamil Nadu, the kind of love there is for volleyball and the understanding there is for volleyball is phenomenal. And what are we talking? We are again talking 20-25 million people, 30 million people. 30 million people loving a sport and we can't make a workable business out of it. I find that difficult to believe. Now, personally, I believe soccer is definitely going to become huge in India in the future. Now, what time frame would you give that? Look, the big problem about soccer for us is the fact that we need to, we did the Under-17 World Cup in 2017. We need to get players in coming in early. So every coach, every person that the AFF hires tells him that, that today internationally kids are starting to play professional, not professional, but uh, competitive football at the ages of seven and eight. That's when they start learning. In India, that's happening around 12 and 13. So what we need to do is have more and more kids start playing football at that age. So a lot of good things are happening. There's something called baby leagues, okay, which are being done all over India, where you're starting to have, so in a season, 30 uh, kids of seven from the ages of five, six, seven, eight, play 30, 40 competitive matches. They understand teamwork. They understand winning. They understand losing. They understand passing versus being selfish. They're understanding this at a much younger age. And that's what we need. And I think you're going to only see the results in about seven, eight, nine years. So I think about 28, 29, if, if they run this well, they run this consistently, they keep the number of coaches they do and keep building on that. I think around 28, 29 is when you will start seeing uh, India really starting to emerge in football. You know, I'll give you this thing. It looks a long number, but in Japan, in 1980, when they started off doing their leagues, they started a J-League in Japan in the mid-80s. Japan had, as its plan, a hundred-year plan to win a World Cup. So they were saying that we will win a World Cup in 2080. And now that plan has come back and they're saying, no, we think we can do it by 2050. That's how Japan thinks. And in India, we're saying, Char saal mein the Olympics we have not, we do not even understand how sport is built in a country. And that's how you build a sport. That's how far-sighted you need to be. And you know the other thing? They take terrific decisions when they say that I'm going to do it in 2080 because the, the guy who's, guys who are taking the decision know none of them is going to be alive by then. So they're not going to get any credit, any glory while they're living. They will do it for the love of the sport because they know that that's the kind of time it takes to build sport in a country. Perfect. You were an integral part of the FIFA 17, you know, under 17 World Cup. Did you see a lot of talent among the young kids in India? We saw a lot of talent. We saw a lot of, India is not short of talent at all. 
what the AFF was forced to do, which I think it did at that time, which was the only thing to get a competitive side together. It took 25, 30, 35 kids, put them together and trained them for three years because otherwise there's no way of being able to get it. So they did that pool thing. But even outside that pool, there was talent. Okay. The problem is India has a place where players drop off. What happens is suppose they finish this under 17. You know, what happens to them after that? They're still not good enough to play first division in clubs. Okay, so big clubs will pick them up, but they'll keep them on their bench. And then those two, three years, a lot of players just disappear. So what they tried to do, and I think it was a very uh, good thing, they started off something called the Indian Arrows program, where they said that, okay, we will keep these players together and play a team in the I-League called the Arrows. Okay, that experiment has worked to a certain extent, but we've still lost a lot of the players we did. Secondly, as I said, finally, your net can't be 35 players. Your base has to be 35,000 trained players for you to get 30 good players. So I think that is now, we need more academies, more grassroots training, more people there, and that's going to make a difference. So there is no shortage of talent again. And one more excuse people will give us that, you know, saying facilities, you know, we don't have facilities like Europe. I have a question to ask you. 21 World Cups have happened, football World Cups. How many has Europe won? Europe has won 12 of them. But nine World Cups have been won by five by Brazil, two by Argentina, two by Uruguay. Go to any of these countries and see the facilities in terms of training facilities in this thing. They are as shambolic as anywhere in India. The truth is they have a much deeper passion for the game. So that translates into passion from supporters at the ground level, from players, from the game being important to everyone. And that's what's giving them players. So first and foremost, when people tell us that you need facilities, you need this, you need that, you know, no, you first need passion. You need passion to make a difference. The rest will come. What was the overall support you got from the other stakeholders when you were anchoring this uh, FIFA event? We got a lot of support. I think two, three places we got support from. One is we got a lot of support from FIFA itself. And look, that there's a reason for that support. Everyone, and you know, that's why I find it so paradoxical. Every world body in sport wants to be big in India. Obviously, 1.3 billion people, the largest free market available. This is the last unconquered place because Japan, even in Japan and in China also, the penetration of sport is far more than India. The penetration of sport in actual real numbers is very low in India, is abysmal in India. So FIFA gave us how to do an event. And I'll tell you something, the world champions at doing events are FIFA and the IOA because they, IOC, sorry, they understand exactly how to do an event. Why? Because they've done it for 100 odd years or 70 odd years in 70 different countries. They know how to do it. So, for example, they'll say ball boys, you know, ball boys or ball girls are the kids that stand outside. So when the ball is kicked out of the ground, they'll come and throw it in. They had an 85 page manual for ball boys. What shirt they wear, what pant they wear, what skirt they should wear if they're playing, or what shorts they should wear. How many of them should be there? What should be the size of their dressing room? What is the combination of water and juices that should be there in the fridge? That's the kind of detailing. Now, I'm not saying all of that detailing is necessary. But learning to absolutely break down every detail of an event is something to be learned from FIFA. So FIFA was fantastic. The Indian government was fantastic. They gave us money not only to do the event and to repair the stadiums. They gave us money to do this Mission 11 million where we distributed more than 2 lakh balls and did seminars to encourage playing football. 
the great thing that they did about uh, i mean and i remember my big moment out there was i was talking to the secretary of uh, sports and he said that you know what do you want to do and he said you know i've just met the prime minister and the prime minister said you know that uh, swami vivekananda said i said sir let me start my presentation he said no 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 let me finish what i'm saying i said sir let me start may i show you my first slide so my first slide was basically exactly this quote that to be closer to god you should read you should play football rather than read the vedas okay that was the first quote that i gave so he looked at my quote he didn't look at the rest of my presentation really he first said how much money do you need there's what <laughs> rather than say anything else so look we got support from them and we did it well so we not only took money from them we gave them whatever money was remaining which has never happened and i think what we did was by running a very clean event that whole bitter after taste of 2010 which is very unfortunate we sort of managed to get through it was a hugely successful event and there was not one you know this thing of okay malpractice there's money stolen here or these people have not done it right there was not a hint of that and that was i think important the states were also hugely supportive bengal because obviously bengal the finals were held there they were very supportive and you know goa kerala the delhi government was supportive kerala did amazing stuff private players dy patil you will know dy patil from football cricket but dy patil stadium was one of our venues and there was a semi final played there and mr patil spent his own money to make sure because we couldn't spend government money on the stadium to make sure that he'll have a good stadium for the world cup that is a true lover of sport so we got support from people we didn't even know would come in there and they came in there and they gave us everything they had we spoke about sponsorship briefly you've been on both sides of the fence when it comes to sponsorship what factors do you think sponsors weigh before they support a sporting event or a sporting team see most of them look at very short term roi okay and they just say that okay this is this and what can i get what kind of money can i get here what kind of immediate return can i get but look there are people there are sponsors who are willing to listen to you if you tell them the raj story they will listen to you so i have met sponsors and they say that you know what when we tell people so people will go and say you know what you're going to get so much grps or which is what is the you know media rating of how many gross rating points you'll get so many grps and this sponsor is saying i'm not even talking to you about grps i want the game to be built i want the game to be larger what is the picture you're telling me so very often i feel uh 50% of the sponsors are going to come and tell you short term and they have very short term necessary requirements and necessities which is why they spend on cricket why cricket is safe just do it spend it get away with it but there are sponsors beyond that and very often it is broadcasters or sports associations or people who are organizing sports who have let them down saying you know we are going to give you these huge numbers and you look at those numbers and says that you know is people come to you and you say that you know those numbers are impossible nobody can give you those numbers in year one and that's also what it is so i think sponsors also if you give them an honest picture and you say that you know what this is what it is it is going to require 3 years to build the sport these are the numbers in the beginning but you are going to grow with this sport very often sponsors are prepared to hear you i think we do them less justice than you know is required the momentum that has been achieved in other leagues in other sports in india how do they take it forward see first i think there's been a huge shock to the system covid has been a huge shock to the system and one of the reasons why covid is such a big shock is covid is very funnily uh, very been very elitist in the way it operates see 
whenever you've had a big event or a big catastrophe, it'll be the say the Second World War, the 1919 influenza. Where does sport return first? Sport returns first in the small grounds, in the village fields, in the distinct fields, then in small first class, then tests. Because of the unique nature of the disease, what has happened is that you actually have a situation where sport has actually can return only at the highest level. Because the only people who can afford the kind of money that a biobubble requires is actually big events. So who can do it? The NBA has done it. Premier League football has done it. The Bundesliga has done it. IPL has done it. International cricket with England and all have done it. Why? Australia has done it. Because they can afford that kind of a biobubble. If you go drop down any other sport, you know, today Kavadi is looking at it and saying, can I afford to you know, spend that much money to be on ground right now? Can badminton afford to spend that kind of money? To make a bio-bubble to keep people secure is impossible. So it's given sport a body blow right now. And I think it's going to take at least a year, year and a half, two years to recover from this. Is enough done in other sports to promote at the grassroots levels, to promote uh, the sport in grassroots levels? Is it done at all? You know what? Uh, the crazy thing is, I feel it is done. It is done despite the system. You know, when I did my Mission 11 million program and I went around the country, I found almost always terrible, terrible administrators. Terrible administrators who were like people in their own cocoon. They only want, you know, be, to be there, inaugurate programs, get a mala around them, be called to conferences where they're going to talk about it. That's all they want. And in almost every one of those people that I met, there was one people on their team or one people, person in that city who is doing amazing work by themselves you know so it's that one person who spends half his own salary pushing you know uh, footballs five people are staying in this person's house because this person wants to train them and you know keep them in the city and there's more place to keep them india in india grassroots whatever little is happening in sport is happening despite the system not because of the system and that's another reason why even when we are getting successes Notice, other than cricket, Raman, we are getting success in individual sports. Because individual sport, it is easy for one person to come up despite the system. For an entire team to come up despite the system is difficult. But India is, India is very, very, very badly served by the administrators. We have as crooked, as spineless, as inefficient a bunch of sports administrators as any in the history of mankind. But in every one of them, there's one gem that is somehow, you know, doing it. And you know, I see them. There's this uh, gentleman called Adumugam. You might have heard of him in hockey. He's a legend, you know. Uh, IIT worked in a public sector unit all his life. He has single-handedly by himself been the repository of Indian statistics. Gone and found out about Indian hockey. He runs a program called A Thousand Sticks where he's having people play hockey on ground in Delhi. He's supporting them from his own money, finding well-wishers, putting things together. Those are the kind of reasons why Indian sports still survives despite having such, such inefficient administrators. In fact, I say cricket is one great example where whatever it is, the administrators don't hurt the sport as much as other places. I think cricket, there's enough politics in every sport as it is in cricket. But I think they do well by their uh, players. They don't allow it to impact the players that much. Of course, you will know much better than that about me. Uh, than where exactly is Indian sports in terms of infrastructure, scientific training and pool of coaching staff when you compare it to other countries which are doing well in sports? 
See, I think what we've got now is we've got two, three places where things are happening. There are paved places like the Go Sport Foundation, JSW. There are there are pockets where it's happening. Now the point is that also the government is talking to these people. So I won't say that it's not happening now. Government is getting people in who are no law, who are not uh, private bodies in. They're getting the Abhinav Bindras in. They're getting the Gopichans in and say, tell us how to run it. So I think there is uh, there is intent on the government side. There is urge to change things. Uh, where we have the large problem is, so we have some amount of really good technical things. So what we can do now is, if there's a person who is semi or close to Olympic class, we now have the kind of people who can train that person better to give him a better him or her better chance. So there's something called the top scheme, which is done by the government of India. There's a Go Sport Foundation supports some athletes. JSW supports some athletes. Olympic Gold Quest. But who are they actually... Because they can't be that large, who are they actually looking after? By Olympic Gold Quest, obviously, what I first want to focus on are people who are close enough to actually win things right now. You get what I mean? So we have, if you're close to the finishing product, we now have organizations that can help you get there. What we don't have is that one person, how's that person come there? <laughs> we just, that process right now, still, there are many, many, many loopholes. So that occasional person who comes there and reaches that level at a sport, I think now we have the ability to polish that person. We don't, we haven't creating enough systems for people to come there. That's a problem. No, things have been good in the recent past. A lot of sports persons have given us a lot to cheer about winning major competitions, international events, etc. Now, what will it take for India to become one of the top sporting nations in the world? So I'll tell you what I believe it will take. I believe it will take parents actually taking an active interest in their children's sports and actually actually su supervising it to whatever extent possible. I'll tell you how it works. So uh, if you go to a school, okay, most schools, and I don't mean the few schools that have you know very organized coaching structures, most schools, the sports teacher is the lowest person in the school ecosystem just above He's just above the security guard. Sometimes he's below the security guard. He's used to look after 20 sports, half of which he has no interest in. He's a decision maker for which kid plays and which kid doesn't play. Very, very often, that is the first place where there's discrimination. Okay. Now, suppose you had the same system. You had parents invested in it. And when a school match is happening on a Sunday or a Saturday or whatever it is, there are 500 parents or 200 parents or even 20, 30 parents watching it. What will happen as a result is you become accountable at that level. We lose most of our sports people at that level itself. At the school level itself, they get bored, they get distinct off, they don't get picked up and they think that, okay, that's it for sport. So that's my point is passion at every level for sport is, I think, one of the primary things. I think the government has started spending money. I would also, again, uh, this is a very controversial thing, but sports is now a state subject. I would look at making it a concurrently subject that it's not just the responsibility of the states, but also the responsibility of the government of India. So then they can get together and a little more money is put into sport. See, I'll tell you, sport in India, if you go to Shastri Bhavan, is a punishment posting. Because in India, in the bureaucracy in India, you're judged by how much money you controlled and spent. Okay, And I don't mean spend badly or well. I mean just spend. Are you in charge of spending a budget of a crore of rupees? So if you look at it that way, the defense ministry spends 
more in a day than the sports ministry spends in you know uh, in a year that's how it works and therefore for you to actually get an absolute distinction in sport you need to impact sport at that level make it a concurrent list thing and incentivize parents to be involved in it because it's at the school level that we lose the most athletes what is your first sport cricket or soccer the vigil say actually my sport first sport is volleyball is basketball if you look at it uh, i started playing a basketball in class 11 and then represented my university so that's, that's a neat pass, that's a neat pass. <laughs> <laughs> no no but uh, you ask anyone they'll know that uh, if you are if i'm up at 6:00 in the morning i'm normally i'm, I'm watching it's the nba season i'm watching basketball No, I watch it uh, a lot as well, but you know that's a different issue altogether. Anyway, uh, your tenure with uh, the Night Riders must have been eventful. You spent a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. Must have been very interesting those years. Yeah, yeah. It was absolutely. It was an amazing time, and I think that's what the also the beauty was. Remember those days were also in the first few years with the IPL. Well, IPL was like the Wild West. you know you had characters like lalit modi there and people like you know sharukh were also involved and vijay malya and all colorful characters all larger than life and uh, you see it's changing rules are evolving things are changing people are learning how it's all about so those first 3 4 years first 5 years i'd say were really really fun because the assortment so now i think it's more of a it's now more uh, streamlined it's more correct it's more you know this thing but the first 4 5 years were the, like the wild west you know and uh, it was absolutely amazing time it was if you talk about night riders people immediately connect one name sharukh khan you would interact a lot with him what would you you know sort of how would you describe him what are your views on him so look i think he was he was very cool and i think what what strikes you about sharukh is he's a very intelligent man so the first couple of years the first two three years he tried to do it himself tried to be involved tried to be a part of it and then he realized that what happens and i'll tell you it's a very simple thing he's too nice a guy if somebody comes to him and he says that you know i want this sharukh finds it impossible to say no to people so what he did need to do over a period of time is give himself a certain amount of distance from the team because otherwise what will happen is any player is picked dropped taken not taken retained not retained it will come on his head so at some point he took the call and he said okay i'm just going to walk, let the professionals do their job i'm going to look at it from outside i am not going to get directly involved and i think that in its own way worked very well that doesn't mean that he wasn't there i mean i think one of the things that he did in 2012 was absolutely amazing i mean just before the game in 2012 before the finals he went they had video crews and those days it was much tougher remember in those days sending stuff on the internet was not that easy and he got a piece he got a piece recorded from everybody all the families not just of players but also of support staff got a piece recorded from all of them and anchored a video himself so from him talking okay with a script specially written i think shujaa ghosh wrote that script and uh, from there to from brendan mccallum's wife and kids wishing him best of luck to uh, yusuf pathan's father sitting out there and saying that no son go and win it for the kkr it was absolutely amazing so that's the kind of magic that a sharukh can do and that's exactly what sometimes you need you need an owner who doesn't do the day to day bits and pieces with you 
but in that time that person can come every now and then and impact create magic and work off and i think that's what sharuk is smart enough and has evolved to being saying that okay i'll come i'll do this i'll give that inspiration to my two man i'll go away because if i get involved in the day to day it's not good for my team it's not good for me yeah the mega starter sits lightly on him i've noticed that uh, during my association with the night riders as well a nice guy to talk to he's very very cool and has time for yeah, everybody he's, he's fantastic yeah he's a bit like you know he's like people like us he's a middle class guy who's made it big he therefore he understands where he's come from he's always aware of his roots he's always aware of how tough it is to be where it is and he's always aware of how fortunate he is and that's one thing he also realizes most of the really intelligent people who reach the top understand so much luck has so much of a part to play in it and he acknowledges that and that is i think very important that allows you to stay a lot more grounded then if you think it's just your amazing ability that's made you reach wherever you have do you read much these days how many books do you read in a year i actually read much less than i used to i used to read 200 books a year i barely do i barely do about 30 35 books a year now but what i do end up doing is i listen to a lot more podcasts because you know when you're running or when you're walking podcasts for me are sort of the way and there's so many now there's so many good podcasts from everything from the second world war to cricket history to interviews to science i mean to detective stories i mean you want to hear detective stories there are you know radio shows from the 40s that you can listen to exactly as they used to be that's so amazing so that's my new passion that you know i am reading a little less than i used to but there's so much more there out to explore I'll try it out because you say it's interesting. It has to be interesting. Thanks a lot, Joy. It was a pleasure chatting to you, and uh, hope to catch up with you personally soon. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to you know to be on one of the doings of Indian sport. All the very best with the women's team and everything else you're doing. And thank you so much for inviting me. Bye bye. Bye bye bye, Joy. Bye. Yes.